Hi, it's Wes Johnson. And John St. John. And we're here for GGR Pirate Radio. Yeah, because they've got balls of steel. Yes, and we may take those from you when we're done. People wouldn't, wouldn't have thought, like, with uh, my, my guys that was hanging around in the hood I grew up in, that we'd be talking about Lincoln Park. Yeah, like even exactly. before Even before the Jay-Z... Uh, the Jay-Z collab uh, came out, like, talking about hybrid theory or talking about whatever, uh, like, some 41 or something like that. Like, they, like people would know songs, you know? Yeah. It, 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 it didn't matter where you were from. Like, people liked a variety of music. You just had to talk to them and not assume that they only preferred one or the other. Well, and that I think that, that was part of it, though, too, is you learned early at a really young age that everybody was into everything. And... Yep. That's, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a great thing though, but at the same time too, like if you find somebody, (coughs) a lot of the DC experience is, is running into people who are masters uh, or it's the, um, Jack of all trades, master of nothing. You know, they know a ton (laughs) about a lot of stuff, but not a lot about one specific thing, if that makes sense. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Hey, Seth, are you with us, man? Hey, what's up guys? Oh, okay. Great. Yo. What's going on? How's my mic? Oh, I'm doing great. Thanks. Oh, oh, you made your microphone. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know you were mine. <laughs> Maybe a, a boy can dream. Um, uh, I so much from last weekend. <laughs> <laughs> um, we were, like I said, we were just talking about how, like, um, and actually you might be able to start, shed some light on this because you, like Steve, are not from the DC metro area, um, but real quick introduce, uh, introductions, <laughs> introductions. Uh, Steve Sedano, uh, Sedano, Steve, or Seagats as he's known. Hey, what's up, Steve? What's going on? Um, not too much. Steve grew up in the Pittsburgh area, and you grew up in in New York, like in the New York area, or you grew up in the city. I grew up in Long Island, which is right outside of the city. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so we were talking about how, like, growing up in the D.C. area, part of your culture, part of being who you are, is it's very important to be musically diverse because the expectation level is that you be essentially kind of like a renaissance man. Not only do you like, uh, you know, a lot of different music, you know, you're also into sports and you're like, it's just the D.C. culture to be, you're expected to be knowledgeable about everything pretty much. Is it like that in New York as well? Because you guys have such a mixing pot like a melting pot of cultures and music and food and everything you know you would think it would be a lot more diverse musically than it is uh, i know what you guys in dc you guys had a lot have had a lot of movements over the years like the go-go music and the hardcore punk back in the 80s like uh bad brains and whatnot um but uh when i was growing up um well in the area i can't i grew up in anyway uh it was like like hip hop just straight hip hop to be honest like it was it's it's a bubble really i didn't really start i didn't really start getting into other genres of music um heavy like that until like my early 20s to be honest maybe late maybe late teens a little bit so yeah it's it was it wasn't it wasn't as diverse for me as you would think um although you know we we uh i guess that might that you could attribute that to new york city being the birthplace of hip hop but you know that I, makes sense though yeah yeah yeah. yeah, well, and and Steve, with you, I mean, I know you're not as much into like uh, hip hop, rap, R and B, things like that. Like, but is that pretty common for your area? Growing because you grew up in like the suburbs of Pittsburgh, like about thirty to forty miles out of Pittsburgh, right? 
Yeah, maybe not quite that far, but yeah, I mean, just around the, you know, we always measure stuff in time. It's so oh, like okay. maybe 30 minutes from Pittsburgh. Oh, okay. Um, I, I could not tell you how far a mile is just by looking, you know, dr while I'm driving, <laughs> but I can tell you how many minutes away something is. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, in this area, there's a lot of musical diversity. Like, I mean, there's people who love, like, country music a lot. Um, you know, there's a lot of people you need to hear the car, you know, bass thumping when you're, you know, people are driving by. Uh, you got a lot of metal heads and stuff like myself. Um, I don't think Pittsburgh is really known for like a type of music. And I don't think there's like a ton of like bands. Like I know one of the more popular ones, like the punk band, like Anti-Flag is from here. Uh, Juliana Theory. I mean, there's a couple bands that are like call Pittsburgh home. Um, probably forgetting some other you know notable ones, but um, like it seems like you guys like in Virginia and I mean obviously there's like a bazillion from New York but like Virginia is like a hub for some really popular bands and music um here everyone just kind of likes everything but when you like and maybe I'm just speaking from my experience but like me and my group of friends like we got into a genre and then it became a matter of like you can tell how well you know your friends based on like suggestions that you give within the genres that they like uh so it's not about like so much how wide of a net can you cast but like how close to the bullseye can you hit in the genre that they're that they're in and you're like dude i have this like ep from this band that you've never heard of but it's exactly like that other band you're talking about and you know and just trying to pinpoint something that was weird and specific to that person or to your group or bringing in a new you know artist that we know you would like based on past performance basically kind of like Pandora before Pandora tailoring tailoring that sounds you know gotcha yeah well yeah and that's and, the, and honestly like that's that's an awesome thing is, is having people who are subject matter experts and a lot of times you would run into that uh, exact opposite problem you would run into that problem with people that were that grew up in a very diverse musical area like like DC is you're like oh I really like this band well what's another band that's like this I, I don't know man I'm going to see this rap show tonight. All right, well, I, I really, really like this rock. Like, where else can I find it? And then, luckily, we had really good radio stations in this area, too. So oh, you were yeah. able to supplement that with, like, okay, I really like this show. Uh, this guy put an amazing, um, uh, just, like, an incredible rapper. Where can I find more stuff like this? And you can listen to KYS, or you can listen to WPGC, and you would be able to find that. Or, man, this is this show that I saw from this punk band was amazing. Where can I find more stuff like that? WHFS would get you for that. And like now it's, I find, I don't know if you guys are running into the same thing. Maybe we're all old, but it's really hard for me to find new music because radio doesn't exist like it used to. Yeah. You gotta go hunt for it online. Like you basically yeah. have to go like almost research it, like yeah. read up on it. You're like, I'm looking for a new band. That's kind of like such and such. I'm looking for a new artist that's doing things like this or whatever and you, you have to get on reddit or you have to get on some kind of you know forum for that kind of genre and it's become so specific genre wise it's you, you basically got to almost do a research paper i mean to be honest it's simpler than that i mean i i simply i get most of the new music i discover from two places it's either youtube just falling down the rabbit hole clicking stuff see stuff mm -hmm. that pops up in my recommended because of other bands that I may have looked up or Spotify and just, you know, I'm already listening to someone I like and I 
look up other other people that they that uh, they say are like this person that I already like, and I, and then I just click through and listen to you know the the top five songs or whatever that they you know that they they list on each page, and that's that's usually how how I discover stuff. Uh, and I mean Spotify makes pretty dope playlists too, so it's really easy to find to discover new stuff. Like if you want a specific genre and you want to know the newest bands or newest artists that came out in a new metal or something genre then you know spotify is really good for that so i mean that's largely where i discover all my new music for i mean it's, it's simple you know you don't you don't have to research that much but you do have to you know search yeah yeah for sure um said where do you find new music i was just about to piggyback off of brooks and say yeah that's basically the same way i find i say i'd say over the past four to five years that's how i found most if not all of my the new artists and music uh that i've that i listen to now like uh like he said the playlists are really good on spotify and they whatever algorithm they use is really good because it always finds a whole group of artists that that are really awesome that i like and i'm pretty eclectic so it's kind of hard to really do that with me so um yeah yeah I, I, i'd agree with brooks uh, that and youtube as well yeah so definitely wh- whoever is in charge for marketing at spotify uh i've been keeping track this is the 457th time that we have endorsed your product <laughs> i'm not asking for much i just want a, a free premium membership uh, i don't think that that's un- unreasonable i mean 10 bucks a month is very fair. yeah that's like very we, fair. we 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 pimp, we pimp you guys hard and uh, we, we love your product. So, um, or, or like send us some t-shirts or something. I mean, like hook us up, man. I might even consider signing up for your services. <laughs> I have been long running joke. We've been trying to convince Steve to use Spotify for the longest time. And then like he finally downloaded it. Like, I don't know what, like three months ago and you still haven't used it. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I downloaded it. Um, Cause I have a VPN on my phone. And when dream theaters new single for their new album came out, um, it was coming out at midnight, but I used a VPN to say I was in New Zealand because it was already midnight there. And I downloaded and, and got on Spotify so I could listen to it early. And that's basically nice. the only time I've ever used it. <laughs> that, that's clever. <laughs> we've literally we've literally created playlists where it's like, Steve, you know, like we, we would love to have your input on this playlist so we can talk about it on the show. Oh, I need a download. Uh, I'll get around to it. And then he never does it. That's a lot of work. I mean, let's be honest here. <laughs> I have to download stuff. Just forget it. Um, all right, guys. So tonight's episode of GGR Pirate Radio, we have, of course, we have Steve Monick with us, the co-host of GGR Pirate Radio. Ready to rock. Uh, we've got a uh, contributor and host of uh, the Overflow when he remembers to hit record. Uh, that's MC Brooks. <laughs> that's me. <laughs> <laughs> and joining us tonight as our special guest, uh, we have the wonderfully talented um, hip hop artist himself. His name is Seagats. Hey. And we are going to be talking about the best albums of the 90s. Because GGR Pirate Radio starts right now. That's how I stay We are starting in five, four, three, two, one. Broadcast starting. You're listening to GGR Pirate Radio. Don't be a juice bag. Do 
I mean, should I just start with Dream Theater since we all know that's where it's going? I mean, give the people what they want, right? That's that's <laughs> what you all came here for, let's be honest. Um, there's two like seminal albums of theirs from the 90s. And for anyone who doesn't know, Dream Theater is a progressive rock, progressive metal band formed in 1985. Um, I've been obsessed with them basically since I found out about them. And it's never changed. Uh, so their two biggest albums in the 90s, and I don't care, we can debate it you know, for any Dream Theater fans, but it's Images and Words and Scenes from Memory. Images and Words is great. We're not going to talk about it. We're going to talk about Scenes from Memory because this year is its 20th anniversary. They have a new album coming out two weeks from today. And part of the tour promoting that new album, they're also going to be playing Scenes from Memory in its entirety. And the reason I love it is because it's just got everything you want it's heavy it's soft uh it, it's very emotive but it's also very powerful uh and it's a concept album and it's what got me like in love with with the idea of a of concept album something that just it's not just a collection of songs that this band made but it's telling a story through music it's it's another level of listening it's you can get multiple levels every time you hear it as opposed to just like yep that's a catchy tune um so this one's a pretty interesting story and um, there's different characters and you can, you know, there's a twist ending and everything like that. It's a really, really good album. Um, Dream Theater is known for their technical proficiency. So there, I mean, three of their guys in the band formed at the Berkeley School of Music in New York. Uh, their keyboardist who came on for this album, Jordan Rudess is uh, trained from Juilliard. I mean, they, they, they have the credentials and they said, you know what? Let's play like the best heavy metal ever uh, instead of playing like classical stuff. Uh, so they take all those elements and just kind of put it together into everything I grew up loving. Um, I mean, for, it was 99, so I mean, it was the tail end of the 90s. So you still have some more kind of what you still hear in modern rock and roll and modern prog rock and heavy metal and stuff, but it still has a little bit of that 90s flair. Um, I mean, that's my when when you say what's my go to album, I'm talking like I'll listen to that on Christmas. I'll listen to it when I'm sick. I mean, it. I mean, if I just need to like belt something out in the car, it's never the wrong answer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like it's. I'm not a a huge fan of Dream Theater, um, but because of your love and devotion to them, I've listened to them way more than I ever did before, and like. This is the, like, I what I'll do is oftentimes when I'm writing, either stuff for GGR or, like, I'm writing a story or something like that, um, I end up having, I like having music that is melodic but with no lyrics. Because if I, if I'm listening to music with lyrics, oftentimes the lyrics kind of seep into my writing. So all of a sudden it's like, you know, it was a dark and stormy night. Um, I heard you coming round all the way across town. You've been searching for that someone. And I'm like, oh, crap, that's Green Day. I gotta delete that. Um... But Dream Theater really fits that, where it's like it's melodic, it's like dramatic, it's it's just got like a lot of emotion tied to it just through the music, and that's to me that's always impressive. Yeah, and you get like a fifteen-minute epic, and there's some very long stretches where it is just instrumentation. There's on that particular album two in, fully instrumental songs. Um, there's some that are kind of short, and yeah, it's just all lyrics and singing as part of the story. And there's some where there's long solos and bridges in the middle. Um, they always use interesting time signatures, so when they want to tell a story, it's not as simple as uh, good guy, major key, bad guy, minor key. Like, it's not that simple. Like, they, they really change stuff with, like, polyrhythmic timing and, and 
it, it's just a whole other level um, of, of musicality. Yeah, and that's like honestly, like this is having this sort of diversity to our list is nice because the most of the other stuff that we had for the for the majority of it was was pretty mainstream, and. Dream Theater is a bigger name in the prog rock scene, but it, you're not really going to hear a lot of Dream Theater on like major radio stations. So this does mix up our playlist, and I appreciate that, Steve. Yeah, always throwing that wrench into the works of a nice, healthy playlist. I'm like, let's just go ahead and put like a 12-minute song in here and ruin everyone's day. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mr. C. Gats, why don't you give us yes, your, yes. Uh, your first... Your first uh, foray into the 90s album list. What do you got for us, man? Okay, so we're talking go-to album, for, like number one go-to album in the 90s, right? Okay, so uh, I, that, that, that's, a, that's, that's a hands down Illmatic by Nas. Um, it has one of the greatest lyricists, um, I think, of all time. Uh, it has a who's who list of producers. Uh, from DJ Premier to uh, Pete Rock, Large Professor, Q-Tip did production on there. Um, it's it's short and sweet, but it's absolutely one of the best bodies of work by a hip-hop artist, I think, ever. Uh, and that's that's an album like like he like he said about Dream Theater. I can listen to Nas anytime, any day. Illmatic. It's 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 a absolute classic, absolute classic. And to piggyback off of that too, um, on, just on the production, on the production tip, uh, the fact that Nas was working with so many different producers was something that was kind of a rarity at the time too. Like generally speaking, lots of rappers, like you had one producer who just did your whole project, and so the fact that Nas had uh, a, a bunch of heavy hitters, you know, producing on this project was it was kind of a unique and kind of pioneering for the genre because that wasn't all that common back then yeah and like especially too this is one of those albums too like it's when you're flipping through like i don't know if you guys did this but like when you first started dating a girl and (laughs) you're you guys have been hanging out for a while you've been dating for a little bit and you get a chance to look through her music collection and you start flipping through and like there's the staples you know obviously you're gonna have you know the dookie by green day you're gonna have nevermind by nirvana but when you start seeing things like illmatic by Nas, you're like wait a minute she's not throwing big willy style here like she's <laughs> she's like she's she's listening to something that has some substance like you know you see some tupac you see some biggie you're like all right okay so she's not just going for the, the cheap shots here all right like this this person knows what they're actually talking about like that's one of those albums like when you talk to people when they mention this album specifically you're like all right they actually know something about music and it's not just like they're picking up whatever they could get their hands on at walmart right 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 yeah um mc brooks you want to give us your uh, your go-to album i mean again um, I have so many, so it's hard for me to like really nail down one. And, and I feel like I think we're all gonna, all of us are music kids. That's the main reason why all four of us are on tonight. But like, I, I feel like if we're like, oh, our go-to album, we can like, name like twenty-five of them that are our go-to albums. Pretty so, much. Yeah, but what, oh, yeah. You, what do you got, man? Well, I led this. I led last week's show with an album by this band, and I'm gonna lead this week's show with another album 
by that by this band Rage Against the Machine. And I'm going to choose their album Evil Empire with probably their most iconic song as their lead single with one of their most iconic riffs in probably rock history yeah. in Bulls on Parade. This is the one, dude. Like they had their self-titled album that came about came before this. It's it's the one if you've seen it before, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's the one with the monk yeah. on fire on the cover. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. But like this Bulls on Parade, that intro yeah, you're right. Like that is the most iconic. And like, I still remember listening to that, and I was like, finding out later that that was a guitar. I was like, that's a. Right? How is he making that noise on that guitar? Like, Tom Morello is another like from another planet. Which, by <laughs> by the way, I shared this with MC, and, and I shared it with Steve earlier this week. I'm gonna share it with you too, Seagats. I just about lost my mind and, and peed my pants with excitement. Tom Morello follows the GGR Instagram account now. Like I was. So, oh wow! I was so psyched. Like what? We, yeah. Yeah, because we wrote, uh, we had a, one of our writers, Danny Rogue, wrote an article about his new solo album that he did, right. and I guess he caught wind of it, and he was like, "Oh, this is a good article," and now he follows us. So I, I'm gonna retire after this episode, oh, guys. It. I'm just letting you know, it's, <laughs> we're done. That's it. It's over. You basically came yeah. screaming into my text messages while I was at work, and I'm like, either somebody died or something good happened to Mike because right. he doesn't <laughs> talk this way. <laughs> I managed to text him and my voice came through to alert him the text. Steve, you have a text that's from Mike reading. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, Evil Empire just from it's it's another one of those albums that you can you can just put on, you know what you're getting from start to finish. But I, I think on this album we got to see a lot of diversity from Zach. I mean the the, the first album sounded like the first album for a lot of bands or the first project by a lot of bands, which is you know, it's kind of a little bit all over the place. Um, there's not a whole lot of focus, even even if there's a, a consistent theme to all of the music. And it was largely kind of straightforward. I feel like with Evil Empire, we got a nice diversity as far as Zach, uh, Zach's rap skills in terms of the instrumentation, because you had some songs uh, that were uh, like Revolver, which was played at like different speeds all throughout it was kind of fast at the beginning then it's like really down tempo and mellow during the verses and then it picks back up and is right in your face for the hook you have tire me which has one of my favorite it's one of my favorite bass lines in music ever and it's really in your face it's, it's, it's kind of punkish you know zach is is yelling in in the way that you expect him to and, but it's it's different than what you than the 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 raps that you normally get, or even the the the, the yelling that you normally got from Zach. So I, I just think from 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 top to bottom, it, it solidifies the fact that one that Rage wasn't a gimmick band; they weren't one hit wonders. Two that they they didn't suffer the sophomore slump in in coming out with a project that was not as good as the previous one because their self titled album is pretty incredible and. Again, th- th- when you can create a song that people will forever associate with you and, 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 and it's a great song and even years later, people will still go back and, and, and speak very highly about how iconic the song is, you know you've done something right. I mean, that's something that I feel like it, every musician aspires to do, to, ha- to at least have that one song that will forever stick out in the minds of people and Rage absolutely nailed it with Bulls on Parade and with this with this entire album. Yeah, I'm I'm totally with you, man. And like 
yeah, this album was just absolutely incredible. And like you said, it no did not suffer their sophomore slump at all. Um, speaking of a second album, and yes, I know Bleach was their first album uh, with Nirvana, <laughs> but their big first commercial success was Nevermind. Everybody knows Never that. Mind. Like we're not we're not you know blowing people's minds with this information here, okay? But <laughs> to talk about a taking the same like intensity and punch and power of that first album of Nevermind and following it up with an album like In Utero. Nirvana, I think, one, blew everybody away, but also, like, really showed people that, like, hey, we're not going to take our success and our fame and just keep doing the things that we know we're going to sell. We're going to do what we want to do as musicians. We're going to find the right mix, and we're going to correct the things that we didn't like the first time around. They, like, um, Kurt Cobain was infamous for hating Nirvana's first uh, big commercial success, never mind, because he was like, it sounds too polished, it sounds too poppy, it's too made for mass production and I don't like that, that's not what I want my music to sound like, and the, the fact that like he put a song like Rape Me as one of the one of the singles from this album like tells you exactly how he felt about the music industry right like that and in heart shaped box like if you listen to the lyrics they're, they're not happy go lucky they're pretty guttural not, not at all yeah wasn't wasn't uh, uh feels like teen spirit supposed to be like an anti-pop song but it ended up being like their biggest hit yeah <laughs> exactly yeah and like we, we talked about this uh, when we were hanging out um last week uh, one of my favorite songs of theirs is Radio Friendly Unit Shifter, which we're playing right now. Yes. Um, the first, like, 35 seconds of it are nothing but feedback. Like, <laughs> what like what, a, like, what a middle finger to everybody. It's like, oh, you like listening to this and hurt your ears, assholes. And then what, quite possibly one of, like, the most rocking songs they have. Like, it is, this was such a great album. It was so different and, like... It's like it's like I don't know how they managed to do it, but like Nirvana managed to like get into like my DNA, and they were like, "All right, well, he's getting a little bit older. He's probably getting a little teenagery and angsty. Let's do an album that's kind of angsty too, and kind of angry and pissed off for no good reason." And, uh, and it just worked, and it worked for me, and here I am, singing the praises of Nirvana. <laughs> but yeah, I absolutely love this album. They had the, the '90s, and well, they only really were big in the '90s because you know Kurt died in the '90s. But um, also, like their their um, their unplugged album, they had the MTV unplugged album. I mean, we'll talk yes. about that later because that's on my list too. But like, just this was the first half of the '90s was their half of the, of the decade. Like, I don't think any other band really had the same kind of impact they did, and it's it's a shame that they weren't around for the entire decade. Because God, I would have loved to have seen what they could have done for the second half. Oh yeah, they were definitely at the top of the grunge pile. They they, they were the kings. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, Steve, what do you got for your next album? Um, your your big albums of the nineties. So all right, so we're going big album. So probably the biggest one on my list then is Metallica. Like everyone calls it the Black Album. It's technically their self title, but the Black Album. I mean that's that's what it is. Um, I mean, that album was friggin' huge. I mean, you, you can't really go anywhere without going, you know, going any site right now. Top 
500 albums of all time, top 100 albums of the 90s. You'll you'll find it. It's there somewhere. Um, it definitely was a slight change from their prior albums, a little less speed metal, a little more progressive in their the different styles of songs on there. Um, and they probably went a little, let that pendulum swing a little too far with the next couple of albums. Um, but man, I mean, that's like the perfect album for, for true metalheads. That's for people who want something that rocks hard, but isn't into like, you know, Anthrax or Slayer level metal. Um, it's just a great album. And that's one of those ones like with Dookie, like you just look at it and like, God, how many of these made the radio? Like yeah. how, how many of these freaking songs have I heard before? And it's the same thing with the black album. Like you just go down the list and you're like, Oh my God. Like I've heard all these songs in the radio at some point. The Black Album was like, it was like the metal album that you could that your parents could listen to, if that right. makes if that makes sense. It's like yeah, that's main, when they, main, mainstream metal. Yeah, yeah, that's when they shifted more into the uh, you know more chorus heavy songs, more formulaic uh, mainstream style. Yeah, but huge um, huge difference from uh, uh, like uh, Injustice for All and all that. Yeah. yeah, Master of Puppets and the Black yeah. Album do not sound the same, but they're both good in their own right. Yeah. Right. And this is this is another one of those albums that, in that big, giant, like, 85-pound CD book that we all had, everybody had this album. Like, nobody that you knew existed without owning this album or having it on tape. Like, this was... Right. Yeah. This was this was one of those albums. Like it was. Oh yeah, it was in the it was in the CD cover that was velcroed to the visor. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I still have that too. It, <laughs> it was a very divisive album though, because you have people that will cite it as their best album and people that absolutely hate it. Absolutely. <laughs> people that claim yeah, I mean, it like, as like the da- the downfall of them. Yeah. Right. Exactly. That was the start, and then that um, oh freaking. You know, load and reload and that whole pathway that that ended in tragedy um and they some people say it never really came back from that i mean i like death magnetic i I like their stuff i love that album after but um yeah i mean it's a total change in in well not a total change but you can see where each album kind of handed off to the next one um, but there's a sharp divide between Injustice for All and the Black Album. Oh, yes. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, MC Brooks, what do you got next on your uh, your heavy hitters of the 90s? MC Brooks, are you there? I'll take that as <laughs> oh, a Oh, sorry. Sorry. Yeah, oh, okay. sorry. I'm, yeah, I forgot to unmute. <laughs> Hilarious thing being that I was I was commenting the whole time, not, real, not realizing you guys couldn't hear me. <laughs> <laughs> but you were one of, with, you were one of those week. guys you were one of those guys that that owned this album correct uh yeah yeah okay yeah of course of yeah. course um let's see so next uh i'm not sure which one to choose okay um the next one i'm gonna pick is kind of a it's kind of a cheat code because it's not their first project but it's it was an ep to their first project and that is the uh, the Hybrid Theory EP, which came out in '99. And it's it's a te- it, it, I'm only listing it as a technicality because I, w- I really wanted to use Hybrid Theory, not realizing it came out in 2000 and not '99 like I thought. Because all their big singles came out. I think Crawl uh, One Step Closer came out the end of '99, so I thought that that. But in any case, say all that to say, uh, the Hybrid Theory EP by by Lincoln Park. 
Um, it's it's kind of it's kind of a rare find among Lincoln Park fans because it most of the music that was uh, recorded on this project uh, ended up like it, it it didn't actually end up getting used for any of uh, the Hybrid Theory album or any of their subsequent projects. Many of these were just kind of songs you kind of accidentally found on LimeWire one day <laughs> and you know kind of not really being sure whether it's Linkin Park because you're like I've never heard of uh, and one before would uh, fuck it why not <laughs> but um, it was the EP that they recorded that that pretty much solidified that Chester was joining the band in an official capacity because yeah. prior to this uh, prior to this uh, album they had another vocalist named Mark whose name I, I don't know his last name but uh he was you know he was kind of he had left the group and they were kind of auditioning people and this is the ep where a, a lot of these songs you know were a lot a lot of these songs with with chester on the vocals like he he learned those songs and he learned the the, the vocals in just a few minutes and then just went in and recorded them wow. and 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 the songs just came out so awesome that they were like yeah you're you're in bro and then they it became this ep and it, it, it's really cool because you got you, you got to see kind of underground lincoln park when they weren't you know like kind of the stuff that leads up to what becomes hybrid theory but uh, a lot of it is very unique in its own right too so it's really dope and if you're if, you know if you love lincoln park like i do and you miss chester then like it's a, it's a good listen to go back and hear also how far he came as a vocalist between uh these songs and you know with, with uh one more light the the final project they put out with him yeah um let, let's let's talk about Lincoln Park for for just a second here, because Lincoln Park was a very divisive band. Yes. Early in the in the two thousands, because what ended up yeah. happening with them, I mean, and we we were, I'm sure we're all pretty familiar, but they were popular. I, I liked them. I saw them in concert. I went and saw them at um it was the Patriot Center at, uh, where George Mason University is. I saw them and it was Hoobastank. Hoobastank opened for them, <laughs> and nice. it was a good it was a good show, man. They put on a great show. And I saw them there, and then I also saw them. I want to say it was Project Revolution at um, at Jiffy Lube Live, which at the time was the Nissan Pavilion. But like yep. that was that was a really good show too. But like we went to the same one, right? Oh four, so. yeah, where it was like that and Corn and, and, and Snoop Dogg was there. And Snoop Dogg, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. same, same one. Yeah, yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. We definitely went to the same show. Um, but like, I don't know what happened somewhere in the in, in that realm, like the public. Per, like persona like kind of flipped on them and they were just like uh you guys are emo and we don't like you and well <laughs> <laughs> well it was it wasn't it wasn't solely that it was it was a combination of things right so they, they were victims of their own success like hybrid theory hybrid theory i i think is kind of universally recognized as one of the best albums of the 2000s especially the early 2000s I mean, it's it's an iconic album for for a genre that isn't really big or popular anymore. But I feel like you play one step closer or crawling, and like people will still go and, and sing those songs. I mean, so like their first album was was so so good, and it, it, it people wanted more. Meteora came out. Meteora 
largely a success. People liked it. Not as good as Hybrid Theory, but people liked it. You had the re, uh, the reanimation album, which remixed Dude, all of the songs. That is one of my favorite albums of all Same time. Here. I love that album. I, I can I, I can sing that from start to finish. I, I know every word on that on oh, that yeah. album. And there's the one like <laughs> there's the one track where it's high voltage and he makes a Cyclops from the X Men reference. And oh it, oh yeah. yeah. Um, oh yeah. Uh, who's uh, Pharaoh Munch? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to remember the. Uh, it's something like that's why I need ruby quartz glasses because otherwise I might blast I, the oh, masses. Yeah. yeah, that's right. That's why I need ruby quartz glasses because when I glance to the chance that I might blast the mass. That yeah. Yeah, like that was. I remember that? Song. I just rem- I heard that and I was like, oh, did he just make a Cyclops reference? Like, yep. <laughs> that's, like that's, most. What most... did you expect? The album cover has a Gundam on it. I mean, you know. <laughs> it was like. They get it. Yeah, no, they totally do. And that was the cool thing about it, too, is, is you started seeing, like, now granted, this is this was 2002, okay? So it's not technically the 90s, but it was taking an album that was created in the 90s and, re, and reanimating it. And it was just, it was cool because I remember this is the first time, like, other than, like, a, a few references from Weezer, but everybody knew Weezer was nerds. Um, other than, like, small little references to nerd stuff, this was almost like the beginning of Nerdcore. Like where it was okay to rap about stuff like this, yeah. and like, cause like anybody can rap about Batman or anybody can do a a, a a rock song, including Superman or something like that. But Cyclops is a deep cut. Like most people don't know who Cyclops is, so like that was that was kind of awesome, and I and I really dug that. And like, I don't care what uh, going back to our 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 argument that we were talking about with new metal like i really didn't give a shit what anybody said about lincoln park like i still dug them i thought they were great i thought they were fun like and they did i think if you were going to put them in a classification of new metal it's almost unfair because their abilities as a rock band but then also as a hip-hop band they're too good at both of those to be classified into that new metal category because a lot of new metal sucked agreed and to, to the build to build on top of that too after Meteora, after Meteora, there was a shift within Linkin Park. So you can make the argument, and I make the argument, and, and this is my only criticism that I would have of Hybrid Theory and Meteora, which is their music was very formulaic. You had one of two. You had one of two formats: either Chester sang the whole song, or Mike rapped the two verses and Chester did the hook in the third verse, and and, and that was it. It was it was very formulaic. Their their songs were largely chords. There there was no real. There was I mean, there's nothing wrong with simple instrumentation. It worked. I mean, it, it, both those albums are great. Yeah. But it, you know it, when you when you listen to other other bands and you're hearing you know kind of the the, the diversity with how they play their instruments, Linkin Park was kind of infuriating because you knew that you, like their formula was very simple. But when they did Minutes to Midnight. They did a, a, a couple things on Minutes to Midnight that differentiated them from their earlier projects. Yeah. One, they they uh, they messed around with tempo, so they recorded songs at, at a much faster, almost uh, punk or hard rock tempo. Um, there was less rap. I think Mike only rapped on two songs on that entire album, so it was largely it was largely Chester, and it was a it was it was kind of a more soft rock. It was more melodic. And, and it wasn't what you generally expect from Linkin Park, which was, you know, Chester screaming, Mike raps, Mike's raps, and like hardcore, uh, you know, guitar chords. And yeah. that's kind of where it started, which was people were like, hey, this is not the Linkin Park 
that we wanted. Therefore, this album sucks. I mean, I, I Dude, thought it was a great album, but great. yeah, like that's it's a great album. That song, "Given Up." You hear the yeah. beginning of that. That does not sound like Linkin Park. And then like, there, there's towards the end of that song, like Chester does one of those like, dude, dude oh. had like that rock scream down perfect, and he does a rock yeah. scream in here that lasts for at least a good thirty seconds. And it's, it's like it's, it's forty, it's forty five seconds. I count, I count, I counted it back in when, uh, back when I heard it because I was like, that that is impressive to hold a scream for that long. <laughs> yeah, like just yeah. I so any of you out there who are shitting on Lincoln Park, um, go listen to another podcast or skip past this part. I mean, keep listening, yeah. please. But <laughs> and, and I'll say I'll say this too, yeah. which is I, I I do think a lot of people also missed out on uh, two really good Lincoln Park albums because they were so disillusioned with them kind of going the more melodic route, which is Living Things and the Hunting Party, like. Those two albums are they're fantastic for one, but it was it was the perfect marriage between if you really love that old hardcore hybrid theory level stuff, and if you really enjoyed Minutes to Midnight, they married those two styles on those two albums, on both Living Things and The Hunting Party. Yeah. And, and they they also did something that was kind of a rarity for their studio albums, which was they had features. So they, they uh, I think Flea, uh, Flea from Red Eye Chili Peppers was featured on the song and um, Rakim, Rakim, the rapper Rakim was also featured on that album. And so, I, I, and I feel like those two albums are really underappreciated because people were, at that point, were like, you know, it's been, I don't know, eight to 12 years since Hybrid Theory and Meteora. And so people were just like, yeah, we we've given up on expecting good things from Linkin Park while not even giving those albums a chance. Because if they listened, they would have found exactly with the the evolution of hybrid theory that doesn't sound exactly like it. So, yeah, I'm, I'm counting right now because it's in the part of giving up where Chester screams. And yeah, it's like it's like forty five cents. <laughs> Jeez, Louise, <laughs> that's that is so impressive. Um, but yeah, let's keep moving on here. Uh, see, Gats, what you got next on the uh, the hard hitters of the nineties? Uh, well, here's a band that you actually kind of mentioned them a, a little bit ago. Um, pro- I would say it, this was their best album, and they haven't made an album this good since Weezer's Blue Album. Good call. We actually have not mentioned that one yet. Yes, Weezer's Blue Album. I can listen to that front to back without skipping a track. It's absolutely one of my favorite alternative rock albums ever. I, I'm uh, I'm with you. I think it's... I wouldn't say perfect. Perfect is, is, a, is a rough term to use. But, right. like, it is pretty damn close. And, like, there's just... It, it's a well-put-together album. It's it's poppy enough. It's It's weird enough and out there enough that it fits into that alternative category but again like right. we were talking about with Metallica and the Black Album this was like parent safe alternative music cause like I couldn't play Violent Femmes around my dad he'd be like I don't want you listening to this cause they're talking about some pretty nasty <laughs> stuff here but like Weezer he's like ah oh, look at these guys on the front of the cover oh, they're clean cut right. kids alright let's listen to this so like it's yeah this was like parent friendly alternative <laughs> music we yeah. found the formula. You just got to name your album after the 
if enter color here album and it's safe for parents hey well, there you go yeah um yeah and, and to, this album oh good oh no yeah to be and i did this last week too and i'm gonna do it again because i am a uh, a shameless shill for my other projects um the first ever episode of stop me if you heard this is actually about weezer <laughs> and their second nice. album Pinkerton and how it was such a departure from the Blue Album. So if you ever wanted to know more about Weezer and kind of the story behind Pinkerton, give it a listen. It's, uh, it's fun stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, didn't remember his Cuomo, like, holding himself up in his house for, like, months? Yeah, so, like, <laughs> basically what ended up happening was is he had a surgery because one of his legs was longer than the other. Right. And he, to get it corrected, it was apparently, like, a horribly painful surgery. And he had the surgery and while he was laid up in bed and like his leg was in traction he was basically writing all of these angsty songs and like the blue album is great but it's not personal pinkerton is incredibly personal like he basically pours his entire soul into that album talking about like you know being a rock star is great but i can't find somebody to that i can love because all of they're interested in is is having sex with a rock icon they, they don't women don't want to be with me they want to be with weezer and like you listen to the album and you're just like damn this is this is really personal and because of that it wasn't well received and it's basically right. like the way he describes it too he even says he's like imagine going to like a high school party and getting drunk and seeing the girl that you've had a crush on since you were in elementary school and pouring your heart out to her and everybody laughs at you he's like that was pinkerton and you're just like fuck dude like Damn. it wasn't it wasn't that bad it was a pretty good <laughs> album like right yeah. and like he he even like swore off of doing the album for years he like he wouldn't play it like they wouldn't play it at at, at concerts and then what ended up happening was Pinkerton ended up being like like vital to the emo scene of the early 2000s like bands like My Chemical Romance Jimmy Eat World uh, they all mentioned Pinkerton as like a huge inspiration for them so all of a sudden like you know late uh, early 2000s Rivers Cuomo is like waking up from his stupor and he's like wait what people liked it and like there was like this resurgence and all of a sudden the album was like looked at in a whole different light like Rolling Stone actually went back and re-reviewed the album and they were like hey we gave this two stars the first time and we're dicks we're sorry because it's actually a five star album and like it just everything changed because of that and like now he loves the album and he's like all right well maybe i was a little harsh on it at at the time and now they play it in concert all the time so it was just it's, it's a really cool story behind the whole thing yeah, and, and I can I can say too because I hadn't heard Pinkerton um, until your episode of yeah. Stop Me If You Heard This, which made me go and listen to it. And while it is it is a departure from from the Blue Album, I mean it's it's incredible. I mean I'm I don't think different is bad, and like it sucks it sucks that you know it got as much you know hate and criticism as it did. Because it's such a dope album, and, and I'm glad that people have come around in the later years and kind of understood the genius of it. Yeah, and like to to your credit, Seagats mentioned in this album too. Like, what I love about this album is there's the big songs off of here, like Buddy Holly, the Sweater Song, Say It Ain't So, but like all of the non-single tracks are actually oh, yeah. are, are dynamite. Like, uh, the, only in Dreams is probably my favorite. Oh yeah, that one's great. In the Garage is great. Um, yes. The world has turned and left me here. Like they're they're all just killer tracks. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Steve Monick. Yo, you got another one for us, bud? Uh, one I think you might be interested in. Um, Who me? Have you 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 said you like this um, 
how do you pronounce it? Nirvana, is that right? You like that band? <laughs> well, like, there was a yeah, guy. Not far, no, not, not Farvana, but Nirvana. Near, it's, like it's, it's yeah. right, like adjacent to Vana. Yes, Got exactly. It. Yeah, okay. um, so there was a guy who used to play in that band, and then he formed his own band, and they were called the Foo Fighters. Why have I never heard of this band? No, I don't know. <laughs> you should really consider it. They're okay at that. Couldn't have been that, yeah, um, have been that David good. Gruel, I think. <laughs> that, that is pronounced exactly right. Got it. Yeah. Um, he only went to the same high school as my dad. Yeah, no, I don't know who he is. You're right. <laughs> my high school doesn't have anyone. My, the biggest thing for my high school is Rocco Mediate the Golfer, I think. Um, anyway, so, yeah, the album, the color and the shape, kind of like we talked about with some of these other ones where you, like, look down the list and you're like, yeah, no, I've heard, like, all these songs, like, just walking in the grocery store somewhere. Like, I mean, they're just everywhere. They just, they're constant. You hear them in movie soundtracks, you hear them on commercials and stuff. Um, I feel like a lot of those songs are like that on the color and the shape, but... Like you guys said, some of the songs that you haven't heard that aren't like the mainstream hits, and the mainstream hits, Monkey Wrench, My Hero, Everlong, I mean, big, big hits. But the whole album is awesome. Yeah. Like there, there's plenty of songs on here that don't get that kind of radio play that are fantastic. And I'm probably just going to step out of the way and let Mike go crazy on it because I know this is like <laughs> co, co-leader favorite band with Nirvana. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, I... I don't want this to be the Mike talks and then everybody else talks a little bit show. Um, so <laughs> I'll, I'll keep my comments brief on this, but I'll, I'll, I'll tease this again with another project. The next episode of Stop Me If You Heard This is actually about this album. Um, because before this album, the Foo Fighters were a joke, and I'll explain why. So right after Nirvana split up, and they didn't split up because it was like Kirk was like, Dave, you're a punk, and he was like, fuck you, Kirk. No, Kirk killed himself. So we think he, he died. There's speculation. I'm not going to go into it because I'm a conspiracy theorist about that. Um, I think he was murdered personally, but whatever. Curtin was no longer living. And they they split up because um, Chris Novoselich, the bassist, and Dave Grohl had a conversation. They were like, look, we can get another lead singer. And they were like, no. Kurt was Nirvana. We can't do it without him. And... Dave got a lot of offers from some pretty big names. Like, he actually got offered to be the drummer for Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. And uh, at one point, Pearl Jam offered him a spot, too. And he was like, I don't really know what I want to do. And he went to Ireland just to get away from everything, to, like, kind of clear his head. And he was drive- they were driving along in this van. He was, like, taking a tour of, like, some old part of Ireland. And the the van that he was in broke down. And the guy's like, I don't know what's wrong. It just it, it just stopped working all of a sudden for no reason, right? So I got to go get some coolant. So the guy leaves and he's walking back to town, which is like two miles away to get some coolant. And he's coming back. And Dave's just chilling in the van. And all of a sudden, this kid walks down the road. And at this point, Dave hasn't decided what he wants to do with his career yet. This kid walks down the road and is wearing a Nirvana t-shirt with Kurt's face on the front of it. And Dave is like, if I don't, he's like, if that's not a fucking sign from God that I need to be doing my music, Kirk telling me, hey, in this random podunk town in Ireland, I'm going to have some kid with an with a Nirvana shirt walk past you to tell you that you need to do your own shit. He was like, that was it. He was like, I knew right then that I needed to do my own band. And like, it was just such a cool story. He ended up recording the first Foo Fighters album by himself. The vocals, the guitar, the bass, the drums every lyric of all of those songs, those are all him. Dave Grohl did the entire album. It was a solo project. Mm. And 
it was so well received, he was like, well, fuck, I'll put a band together. So he put a band together based on his solo thing. And like, tongue in cheek, they do a video for Big Me. And they do Big Me as like a Mentos commercial, thinking it would just be fun, right? Well, the problem is, is the Foo Fighters weren't big yet. So they go and they play these shows after seeing this Mentos-inspired video, and people start pelting them with Mentos. And he's like, he's like, fuck, I'm a novelty act. And he's like, this is my worst nightmare. Like, he's like literally like in his head imagining himself like in his 50s, like dressed in like, like, you know, like a big like costume, you know, like, like Scooby-Doo or some shit at King's Dominion, like playing, (laughs) like playing his guitar. He's like, this is my worst goddamn nightmare. So they went to the studio and he wrote almost all of the color and the shape. And he was like, I will not be a fucking novelty act. And like, if, if that guy, you know, sets his mind on something, I, I don't want to stand in his way because this album, like Steve said, from top to bottom is a just a work of art. And like, if that's not the biggest middle finger to you're a novelty act, I don't know what is. And that was one of the things I remember distinctly about the songs in this album is that like, it really set that kind of tone where they're like, I'm not a novelty act, but we're still going to have fun. And they did that like through, like you mentioned, the music videos. Like I remember the, watching the music videos on MTV for these different songs and just being like, this is like a kick-ass song, but they are like clearly just having the time of their lives making these videos. And it didn't really care. Like you could tell, cause I, I know Dave Grohl like directed a lot of them too. Yeah. Like he was very much in control of the whole process and was like, like you said, we're going to do our thing. And I'm not going to be a novelty act. I want people to understand, like, we have extreme talent here and we're going to write amazing songs, but we're going to kind of do it our way and have fun with it at the same time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And like, like I said, man, I I think that this is the one, this is what turned them from just another band into, I mean, I'm not going to say that they're the, the best of the newer rock bands out. Cause I mean, I'm saying by newer, like I'm saying mid nineties and after. But, like, I think that they're they're pretty high up there. I think that, like, a lot of the other ones were kind of like the Torchbearers from before. You know, your Pearl Jams, your Soundgardens, um, those bands. But they managed to really grab that alternative flag, and they were like, we'll, we'll keep it running, guys. Don't worry about it. Um, let's go to Mr. C. Gatz. What is your next big album of the 90s? Okay, so I would I would be I would be remiss to leave out Wu Tang Clan enter the thirty six chambers. Thank you for yes. bringing up the thirty six chambers because that yes. sh- that fucking album is that, that it changed my it literally changed my life. It like I I, I liked hip hop prior to that album. You know I was you know I started off in eighty seven seven years old Run DMC. Yeah, I liked it. Wu Tang made me want to become a part of the culture it made me like it it, it was the first they were the first hip-hop group that actually i felt a personal connection with you know what i'm saying Uh, and uh absolutely probably no no definitely the most influential hip-hop group of all time i i'm not there's no debate as far as i'm concerned uh i mean nine guys on an album i mean that was unheard of at the time and uh that album was just amazing amazing yeah what blew me away too about them was that like they they hit on something that sounds very innocuous but ended up being incredibly powerful 
is they tied their music to something that we all kind of shared, and that's watching shitty kung fu movies. Yes. Yep. <laughs> and, like, to a point now where, like, people... I feel like the younger generation just assumes that all the members of Wu-Tang Clan also know, like, five different fighting styles, you know? <laughs> like, they're like, well, those guys all know Kung Fu, right? Like, they have nunchucks and stuff, and they fought Bruce Lee in that big thing, and then, like, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was there, too. Like, it just... I, I, I feel like it just all kind of got melded together. But, yeah, that, this is another one of those albums. Like, everybody had this album. This was just... It was such an awesome album. Yeah, they were, they were a unique marriage of uh, urban culture kung fu movies and spirituality really um yeah. and uh you know because before that you didn't really i mean there were a few groups that kind of touched on it but before that you never really heard people really like talk about the whole five percent na- uh nation and and all of that and, and it was interesting because they were all a mix of different you know religious backgrounds they were christian uh they had a hebrew uh black black hebrew uh uh, Islam, all that stuff, and they all came together and just made this great music together, and uh, it made me think beyond just music, you know. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and and honestly, guys, we'd be remiss if we didn't speak about the fact that they're huge fucking nerds. Like they oh, yeah, really, right? they're, they're huge fucking comic nerds. I mean, shoot, even even before before uh, we started recording this. I was uh, watching an interview that Method Man did um, on Colbert this uh, this week, um, and Colbert actually had him uh, do two things. One, Method Man was able to recite the first rap he ever wrote at age yes. at age twelve. What? Which I which I'm he like still remembers it. Which that's what I said. I was like, man, I it's crazy. I wrote my first rap at fourteen, and I have I couldn't tell you a single line from it. I have no. <laughs> the fact he the fact that he's in his what late forties and remembers wow. a, a verse from when he was twelve years old and remember and like remembered enough to spit a couple bars like not even just one or two lines. I, I thought that was super. Damn. I can't super. remember mine from yesterday. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even remember what I had and, for dinner yesterday. Jeez. Right. <laughs> but the other thing he mentioned in that interview was he he actually spoke about his favorite comic book character, which was Wolverine, and he he spoke about the fact that the reason Wolverine's his favorite character is because Wolverine's story kind of mimicked his uh, in a way, and, and so that's why that's what attracted him to uh that characters it's it's ultimately a story of redemption as he as he put it and like it was really it's really it's really cool because i do think too that hip-hop for a long time kind of had this perception of like it's anti-nerd stuff like nerdcore wasn't really a thing to the 2000s so there was this perception that like if you were just into nerd stuff like that, like you weren't rapping. That 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 just wasn't the persona. Yeah. And Wu Tang was a group that that mixed the street shit with with the nerd shit. You know, like you you got to hear you 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 would hear them uh, reference Marvel characters, DC characters, and whatnot all throughout their albums. Well, and well, even hell. Go Ghost Ghostface first album was called Iron Man, and he had yeah. a song on there called Marvel. Yeah, (laughs) I just I I love I love that. And this is what GGR has always been about. It's about finding people 
who are passionate about something that they love and and geeking out about it and having a refuge and it's like Wu-Tang literally used the recording studio as their refuge let's write about nerd shit let's rap about nerd shit like let's and 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 do it in a badass way too. Like as a matter it, of fact, doesn't Ghostface call himself Tony Stark? He does, and also <laughs> the, I think he might be the first one to use anime in a in a rap video. Uh, Daytona 500. It was basically they they took uh, clips right. they took clips from Speed Racer and had uh, uh, I forgot the guy's name in the show, but he was uh, uh, lip syncing the lyrics to uh, oh. yeah yeah that's it dope. Was, See, now yeah, I'm it was go a back dope and watch video. that video now. Okay. Yeah, Daytona, Daytona 500. That's, Check I mean, it out. It's awesome. I love that I mean, video. And that's really forward, too, because th- that was what, 97? Uh, yeah, 97. Yep. Like that. That's that's impressive. Yeah. Shout out to Wu Tang for that, because that's dope. Yeah. Uh, MC, go ahead and give us an album, and then what we'll do is we'll do quick hitters here on, on the ones that we missed. Uh, and then we'll go ahead and wrap up the music, and then we'll uh, we'll take a quick break, and then we'll go into our uh, our, our our news and comments uh, section of the uh, the podcast. But MC, what you got as uh, as your your last big uh, one that you want to make sure we mention? All right, so I'm going to follow up on said in the the, the hip hop vein and mention another kind of iconic, unique group from the '90s that had their their arguably biggest song in the '90s, and that is uh, Cypress Hill. And oh, not just in not just any Cypress Hill album, their Black Sunday album, which dude. featured the the most their most iconic the, the song you instantly associate with them, which is Insane in the Membrane. Okay, before you get into that, real quick, this is how I knew Cypress Hill had gotten big. This is like maybe ninety eight, ninety nine. Insane in the Membrane was a clue on Jeopardy, and hearing Alex Trebek. <laughs> read the lyrics to this song <laughs> was the funniest goddamn thing I'd ever heard in my life. As he's like, he's like, the lyrics go like this, toss the ham and the frying pan, damn, I feel like the son of Sam. And I'm like, you gotta be... <laughs> and of course, none of the nerds that were on Jeopardy knew who they were talking about because they're all like English literature majors or like, you know, botanists and shit like that. And he's like, ooh, sorry. The answer was Cypress Hill. Like like he knew, you know? Somebody's like, what is niche? <laughs> um, what is, uh, what is Will Smith? Ooh, no, no. <laughs> what is Aerosmith? No, sorry. <laughs> that could have been Aerosmith lyric. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Now I gotta hear. Um, now I now I want to hear Steven Tyler sing "Insane in the Brain." Yeah, <laughs> someone needs to make that happen, Asa. Need to do a petition. Yeah. right now. <laughs> I'm sure he'd do it. He's got nothing else going on. Exactly. Except for growing that weird goatee that he has. Have you guys seen that? How weird he looks yeah. with facial hair. Right, yeah. He's a creep. Yeah, right? Totally, yeah. It's like a, a pedo wizard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, a new class has just been created for Dungeons and & Dragons, and it's pedo wizard. Oh, my God. <laughs> wizard. <laughs> or a really, really inappropriate band name for our band name list that we have. The pedo, the pedo wizards. Pedo wizards. <laughs> Yeah, no gigs for that one. <laughs> Not within 500 feet of any elementary schools yet. Right. right. <laughs> oh, 
the funny, the, as soon as you said that about Steven Tyler, it reminded me of this Levitard poll that they had this year, where they put up who looks more like an old woman between <laughs> Steven, between Steven Tyler, Axl Rose, and John Bon Jovi. <laughs> Seventy is all of the above. Seventy-two percent of the people chose Steven Tyler. <laughs> I could agree with that. Is that why he grew the gross beard? <laughs> 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 Oh my god, uh, that's too funny, dude. And I just completely crapped all over me talking about Cypress Hill because they're a great, they're a great rap group, man. Like, please sell us on why Cypress Hill is on this list, dude. That that beard needs its own album credit when he makes. It, so. Accepting a Grammy for for the album, Steven Tyler couldn't be here, but his creepy pedo beard is. <laughs> Uh, tears in my eyes. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Stephen Tyler. I'm, I, I apologize for nothing. <laughs> I am not. I'm not sorry. That shit's funny. <laughs> oh man. Um, okay. Okay. So, <laughs> Black Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> Black Sunday. So, um, so it, it not only birthed the most iconic Cypress Hill song to date. Uh, even over other songs that they put out like uh rap superstar um black sunday it was it was it it was from a just from a production standpoint it was it was a very unique album Mm -hmm. because dj muggs kind of he he kind of authored the idea of there is nothing that you cannot sample and make a beat out of because uh, one of my favorite songs of that off the album is a song called "I Ain't Going Out Like That," which has a really has a great bass line. I mean, you find great bass lines all throughout this album. But that song is very notable because they got a horse neighing and made a beat out of it. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's, it's weird because you hear the sample coming, you're like, what the, "What the fuck is that?" And then it loops, and you're like, uh, "Is this what? What is what?" Sea and biscuit. then the drums come in and you're like okay okay oh yeah okay this is this is actually kind of dope this is cool and, and and so like the production I thought was I, I thought was 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 dope because it was very unique it was very different from a lot of things like there was uh, you know one one of the signature sounds of early 90s hip-hop was uh, beats that were largely baseline driven but Muggs found a way to kind of make it he kind of give it that West Coast swing in addition to making again beats out of horse sounds and <laughs> kind of whatever whatever else. Yeah. Um, on top of that, Sendog, uh, one of the members of Cypress Hill, kind of had his coming out party on this album. He wasn't really he were he was he was involved, but not really. It was kind of B Real's first album on their first one. And this one, you kind of got to hear him have a voice. And the rap and kind of and, and coming to his own, you know, which was which was kind of cool, and so I mean I just think from from start to finish, it, it, it's a it's a great album. Uh, they were obviously pioneers as far as uh, marijuana use. Yeah, <laughs> and, I was gonna and, say and, yeah too. Yeah. Hip hop, like you, I, I I'd be I'd be a terrible Cypress Hill fan if I did not mention the fact that. You know, there's a lot of weed references. I mean, I'm I'm looking at the the, the first song is called "I Want to Get High." Yeah. <laughs> Did you have other? <laughs> Do you have other songs like "Hits from the Bong" and "Legalize It," which, duh. Yeah, they um, po- they popularized. I would say they popularized weed yeah. rap. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I would, I would, I would agree 110. percent And I mean, I do think this is the album that really that that really put them on on the map. Yeah, for sure. No, this is definitely the uh, the one. I mean, like, yeah, again, another one of those like just iconic albums for sure. Um, let's go around the room real quick. Uh, quick hitters on ones that we missed, um, and maybe we'll have to do a part three. Uh, I think that that's going to be. We're all such big music heads that I, I know we're going to have more. Um, so Steve, give, give us an album that we didn't get a chance to talk about. Gosh, there's just so many of them. Um, I always do this. So I mentioned earlier, bad motor finger, not bad moto finger. <laughs> um, I always drop that R and I don't know why. Um, I also really like this like group called Arion. They're kind of not really a band. They're more of a project, but they had an they're album called Into the Super o- Group. <laughs> it's like yeah. A million, yeah. I mean, million people involved with them. And it's always like different, and I always just liked it because they always pluck out like a ton of different amazingly talented vocalists. Um, they had an album called Into the Electric Castle in the '90s, which was really good. Um, and then, keeping with power metal, I really like Symphony X and the Divine Wings of Tragedy is good. I would I would have picked um, uh, Freaking the Odyssey, but that was in 2002, so I'm not allowed to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you could. I mean. It's part. I mean, you helped create this podcast. You can kind of do what you want. Um, yeah, no rules here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just don't be a juice bag. You know how the rules go. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. There's that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Like, Arion is like one of those bands that like I keep forgetting about. Like, I remember hearing about them in high school. A friend of mine introduced them to me. Actually, GGR contributor Danny Rogue was like, "You need to listen to Arion." And I remember she put the CD in my CD player in my car, and I was like, "Who the fuck are these guys? They're awesome." <laughs> what is happening here? Yeah, and it was just amazing. <laughs> and then like I forgot about them. And then like five years later, I was like, "Oh yeah, these guys. They're awesome." And like I just keep being reminded that they're just this awesome thing like they, i don't even know how they, i don't feel like they fit into any real category i mean they're prog rock but like they just don't really fit in any other category but yeah arion is is pretty badass for sure it, it yeah. it's funny because I, I had this good good i was gonna say I, I actually had the same kind of moment the other day so I, I i downloaded the source sometime last year and i put it on my mp3 player and like kind of forgot all i, for, I forgot that i put it on there and I had one of the songs actually show up, uh, pop up the other day uh, while I was, I forget what I was working on, I was doing something. And I remember kind of jamming and being like, wow, this song is long, but it's it's kind of incredible and epic. And I've, what the hell is this? And why have I not listened to this before? Just to find out, oh, it's Arion. It's, it's the whole Source album that I never listened to, even though I downloaded it last year. I'll have to check that out. I never heard of them. Yeah, it's, yeah it's- they're dope, bro. It's fantastic. Like, and um, I'll send it to I, you. I, I just kind of like it's like oh, the yeah, trunk definitely. of the tree, and then all the vocalists and guitarists and stuff. I'm like, well, what bands do these guys play for? And then just kind of branched off from yep. there because they always just grab different, you know, talented people and bring them together for an album and then part ways. Uh, and then you just go follow all these people around. Yeah. Uh, just awesome stuff, dude. Like, um, all right, quick hitters, guys. Give me, give me an album MC. Uh, I actually, I, I'm actually out because I, I lost my, I, my I, I lost my original list, and so like the only one, that, the only album that I, I could, I, I can actually list 
is one that I think only you and me can appreciate because we know about this group. And that's <laughs> and that's the uh, Kurashi with the Zene- I, I don't know how to pronounce it. Zenezes, whatever, whatever, however you pronounce it. But that album came Zene- out in '99. Yeah, yeah, it came out in '99. It's kind of the song that would it, like a, a lot of the songs that ended up on Jinx were on this album originally. I mean, yeah. this album was it, it was Iceland only. And I remember in like, what was it, like 2003, 2004, scouring the internet and LimeWire trying to find these different songs uh, from on here. But I mean, uh, lots of the songs like Stick Em Up, which is probably their, Kurashi's most famous song, uh, was was on this album. Uh, Other songs like Fuck You Pudo and uh, Jiving About, which became Transparent Parents, were were on it. Tarfer was originally on this Dive In and Bless. Uh, we're also on this originally, so yeah. Yeah, no, I'm with you, dude. There's such a yeah. I love these guys. <laughs> <laughs> also, pro- also props to them too because the first uh, one of the first times I ever heard, um, like uh, James Brown is probably the is the most has one of the most sampled loops in hip hop history. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yet Karashi sampled one of his songs that I've never heard used in any other. Uh, any other hip hop sample before, um, Mike? If you listen to uh, Surreal Rhyme, I don't. I don't know what James Brown song is samples, but it's kind of it. You'll know the guitar loop as soon as you, yeah. uh, as soon as you hear it. Um, but yeah, that I, I thought that that was uh, that was really dope because I'd never heard that before. Um, see, Gats, what do you got, man? Give me another album. All right, uh, let's go with uh, Smashing Pumpkin, Siamese Dream. Oh, you uh, son has- of a bitch! That was mine. <laughs> <laughs> Got <laughs> it has it has one of my favorite songs with one of my favorite riffs ever, uh Sherub Rock. I oh, love yeah. that song. Yeah. But also like songs like Disarm and Soma, Geek USA, uh Rocket. Oh man, I don't know. I could go through that whole album, man. It's Dude, uh it's great. Without without giving away too much detail, um I I was like I wanna say like seventh grade. Maybe like sixth or seventh grade. I can't remember which one it was. But like mm. the the girl that I like, we all had that girl, the girl, the first one that you had to crush on, right? Right. Um, si- the uh, Smashing Pumpkins were her favorite band, and I got her a poster of the Smashing Pumpkins, and I got her this album, this CD, and we definitely got the first kiss like in the locker bay right before we went to class. <laughs> it was the dopest thing ever. And like, I don't even remember what happened after that. I don't even remember what class I went to. I might have gone to the wrong class. It's entirely possible. But like, <laughs> for that, because of that, that song today is like, that's like, that's, yeah, that's like one of my favorite songs because of that. Yes, I can see why. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh yeah, and, and the great thing about it too is I was totally batting above my my pay grade on that one too. Like she was hey. like she was easily like a, like an eight or a nine, and I'm like you know like schlubby little me at like a five or a six. And like she had also like because girls always hit their growth spurt before guys did, so like she was like tall, and I was, I still hadn't hit my growth spurt yet. So like again like yeah, hitting above my average, man, it was awesome. That, that was that was a smooth chess move right there, man. I mean, <laughs> but this this album, man, this album was 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 totally dope. Yeah, disarm was great. Today was great. Um, oh. Yeah, absolutely. For, uh, for also, fun fact: uh, when I was living in North Carolina, I had a roommate, really cool guy. Uh, he did a spot on Billy Corgan. He's the biggest Pumpkins fan I've ever met in my life. He did a spot on. I mean, if you didn't see his face, you'd think it was Billy Corgan. That's, yeah. So shout out to him, uh, wherever he is. Yeah. 
this wasn't the was this the 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 uh the roommate you had that used to uh how do I put this sing early in the morning no oh, no 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 it wasn't him. oh it wasn't that guy was it like the no, one you were no. telling us about okay <laughs> no i said i said he was cool okay, okay. <laughs> just trying yeah. to make sure <laughs> no 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 not him not him steve we'll have to have c guys tell you the story later it's 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 like epic dude like th- this this horrible roommate which honestly we might use that as part of our next uh episode here is we might just talk about experiences with horrible roommates um oh, man. that'll be kind of fun um, Steve, give us one more album. I'll give one more, and then we'll wrap us up. Oh, geez. I tapped out my whole list. Did you really? That's not I true. Did. I know you better than that. Well, the list that I wrote down, uh, I don't know. You also, have, um, you also have the Goo Goo Dolls. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah. yeah. I thought you guys did talked you really? about that one. No. Yeah, A Boy Named Goo. We talked about yeah. the Matchbox 21, yeah. Oh, okay. I My mistake. Yeah, A Boy Named Goo is uh, a really good album. I mean, uh freaking dizzy up the girl always gets the the kind of like that's their great album because it has iris and slide on it but man a uh, boy named goo is so good and and it has a lot of diversity and sound because they have uh what's his face the bass player singing a couple songs they have a couple heavy ones and they have a couple ones you think of when you think of the goo goo dolls um they definitely changed up their style and kind of got a lot more formulaic as they went on that's it's their first album it's a good one yeah for sure and like the song it, it's the title track well not the title track i'm sorry it's the first track on the album long, long way down long way down long way down is actually on which we might have to do later as another uh episode uh best soundtracks of all time because this song is on the twister soundtrack and the soundtrack to twister is dope like van halen does a song on there that's that's really good this song's on there like it's a really it's an interesting mix too like you got some country on there too it's just a a really really good put together album red hot chili peppers show up on it too it's it's good stuff i think we could all come up with some really good uh movie soundtrack yeah Yeah. sounds like it's better than the movie yeah well (laughs) (laughs) a little bit yeah I think that movie gets crapped on a lot. I, like, I really, I remember definitely going to the movie theaters and seeing that. With, um, my aunt took me to go see it, and like, it was, I, I enjoyed the hell out of it. I don't care how crappy it is; it was fun. <laughs> Who cares if all the special effects were stupid with those little Pepsi can <laughs> things that they had flying into the tornado? Whatever. Um, I'll, last one that I want to hit on. It was going to be Siamese Dream, but somebody stole it like an asshole. Um, oops. Oops. <laughs> oops. So Why'd you do that, that, Brooks? Who that could be? Sorry. Why'd you do that, Brooks? Swinging. Sorry, not sorry is what you're saying right there. Um, this one, this is another one of those ones. We talked about it with 10 uh, by, um, by Pearl Jam. It was issued to you if you lived in the, in the suburbs and you were like a white kid. Um, this album was like that too, and that's Throwing Copper by Live. This, mm, it's this in al- my car right now. <laughs> See, right? That's See, a good one. There it is. This is such a good album. Like I Alone, Lightning Crashes, All Over You. This was just such a good album from top to bottom. And like they did this festival in it's where Rolling Rock Beer was brewed, uh Latrobe, Pennsylvania. And they did a big concert there every year. And Live is from, if I remember correctly, they're, if they're not from Latrobe, they're, like, from really, really close by. And they would play this concert every year. And, like, I can't remember how I managed to talk my parents into letting me go up there. But my cousin and I went up and saw them play at this Latrobe Fest. Because it's, it's a beer fest, basically. And I was, like, 16. 
I had no business being there, but it was so much fun, and I felt like I felt so cool, like I was an adult for like a minute. It was, it was, yeah, just an awesome album, awesome band, um, yeah. We could have hung out. You were so close to my house. Well, yeah, but again, though, you're uh, we're different versions of each other in the multiverse, Steve. We weren't able to cross. <laughs> I was over probably yet. at DC at the time. You're right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We had to switch. That's how. Otherwise, the whole universe would collapse. It's a whole thing, you know. The monitor would have shown up. It just would have been a fucking mess. Um, on that note, obviously, we've got more music to talk about, guys. Um, we will come back to this music topic again because it's just so much fun. We love talking music here on GGR Pirate Radio. Um, but just, I wanted to give a quick reminder uh, to everybody. Um, there's a lot of great stuff out there on the website. Go to greatgeekrefuge.com. We've got articles. We've got podcasts. We have a whole network of shows now. Um, Mike on the Mic is back on GGR. Um, go into podcasts. It's right there. You can subscribe. You can do all of that fun stuff and listen to some of my stuff from the other projects that I worked on, too. Um, but we've also got The Overflow with MC Brooks. We've also got... Um, We've got the Geek Sheets, which just goes into the geeky, nerdy news uh, of the time, which we'll have more of coming up here soon. Uh, we've got GGR Pirate Radio, the one that started it all. We've got Stop Me If You've Heard This. And we've also got our buddies over at Fantastic Forum. Uh, we're hosting their stuff on iTunes and on Google Play. Uh, and that's the Fantastic Forum podcast. So definitely make sure you go and subscribe and listen to those. But I wanted to give a chance to uh, my guys who are joining us uh, MC, I mean, if you haven't helped this guy out yet, seriously, like, you're doing me a disservice here. Go to Bandcamp, buy his music, help the dude out. But not only that, if you live in the D.C. metro area, MC, tell them how they can see you, not only in concert, but on your birthday, so they can help celebrate your birthday. <laughs> uh, well, February 21st, which is a Thursday, so it's the beginning of the weekend, sort of. Uh, Thursday, uh, February 21st, I will be at the legendary Howard Theater performing a bunch of music from a Dark Dawn EP, which I released last year. And you can uh, I actually put a video out on all my social media, on my Instagram, my Facebook pages, Twitter, etc. Um, and you can find the links to everything there as far as where you can buy tickets. They're 25 bucks. Um, it, and it's going to be it's going to be an incredible experience because you know obviously I get to perform and I am celebrating another year uh, around the sun and on top of that the showcase is just it's awesome in general because aside from music performances you'll find photographers you'll find graphic artists uh, designers uh, there will be a slew of other performers as well and it's going to be just a, a fun experience so if you can make it out come out buy me a drink. I appreciate it. There you go. Uh, our our special guest. We're gonna let him uh, close us out here, uh, Mr. Seagats. You're a very talented rapper as well. In fact, your CD is actually in my CD player in my minivan as we speak. Tell people how they can listen to your stuff, where they can find it, um, what projects you're working on, anything like that. Sure. Um, well, you can get my stuff. Uh, the best, I'd say, the best way to get it is on Bandcamp. That's where the dollar signs are bigger. Uh, that's, so that's uh, cgats.bandcamp.com. Uh, and then uh, I'm also available through all of the major streaming sites, iTunes, Spotify, Tidal, what have you, YouTube. You can find it on YouTube. Um, uh, projects I'm working on. Um, yeah, I'm actually working on a few things uh, right now. working on a few things. 
Yeah, yeah, I'm always working on a few things. <laughs> when I'm going to finish those few things is a whole other story. <laughs> but uh, but um, I am actually working on a, a part two to uh, an ode to the Illmatic album that I just mentioned actually during the show. Um, I had a, the part one to it came out a couple years ago. Finally getting around to the part two. It's a montage type of thing. Uh, keep an eye out for that on my Bandcamp. That'll probably be a Bandcamp ex- exclusive. Um, and uh, supposed to be working on uh, a little project with uh, one of our guests here. Uh, you know, oh, you're doing thing. a project with Steve. That's so cool. Yeah, just... you weren't supposed to tell anyone. <laughs> yeah. Damn it! Oh, I'm so just sorry. Met, just met too. That's crazy. Yeah, I know, right? It's crazy. Or so you my thought. Bad. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, me and MC Brooks. I'm sorry, not guest, but host. Um, <laughs> uh, we get we're going to be working on a project soon. Hopefully, we can knock that out uh, soon. Uh, a few things, got a few things going on. Like uh, you know, just ch- you know, go to the pages, check it out, keep an eye on it. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at cgat777. Easily, easily found online. And uh, oh, and tell them the name under which your albums are out. Because it's not just you. That is true. Um, I I don't have anything on the streaming sites under C Gats uh, right now. Everything that's on the streaming sites is uh, it's uh, me and my producer friend uh, Shpoozilla. We go by the name of Gatzilla. So if you're looking for my stuff on the streaming sites, it's under Gatzilla. So there you go. So you look go. up C Gats on Bandcamp, but look up Gatzilla on all your streaming services. All right, good stuff. All right, guys, so this has been another wonderful episode of GGR Pirate Radio. Uh, Thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Mike Lonsford, and we will be seeing you soon. Thank you for listening to GGR Pirate Radio. Make sure you check out our website, greatgeekrefuge.com, for more podcasts and our awesome articles. This has been Pirate Radio Network production juice bags. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, boy! <laughs> <laughs>